podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Welcome to episode 253, Surviving the Intimidating CFI or Examiner. In today's episode, we discuss surviving the intimidating CFI plus examiner, but uh, we, you know, all of us have flown with them. Many are known throughout the community and are on many people's avoids list. But, you know, what do we do when we find ourselves in the flight deck with a CFI or an examiner? So let's talk a little bit about that in this episode. Let's do the pre-flight. But first, let's say hi to who's joining us this evening. Uh, from uh, the West, Midwest, I should say, is Sean Moody. Sean, welcome. Good evening. How are you guys doing out here? I'm doing well. Today is Carl's Geography Challenge. If we remember, I messed it up last time. Moving a little bit further towards the east, uh, we have <laughs> Russ Rosleski. Hey, Russ, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> yes, Carl, it is further to the east. You got it right this time. <laughs> and, then, and then continuing on to Florida, right here is myself in sunny Florida, and uh, luckily not having any of the effects of that big storm that's out there in the Gulf, that hurricane. But uh, welcome all to the podcast, and a uh, couple of news items. I'll go to the boring stuff first, not so boring, but we have moved our studio out of our house and also out of the north side of the airport. As you know, we had a temporary place on the north side of the airport here at Lakeland Linder. We are now on the south side in our own studios. If you want to come by and visit, though, shoot me an email because a lot of times I'm not here or we're recording or something like that. So make sure if you're going to come by and say hi, uh, you do send us an, shoot us an email because a lot of times I'm all over the place. Very excited about it. Very excited to be uh, recording here this evening. Also, another thing, too, it, you know, we talk a lot about that scholarships guide, but one of the things I'd really like you to try to do to help support this podcast and also to help people get a scholarship and move forward in their careers is think about becoming a patron. As a matter of fact, for every $10 we raise, we give away one scholarships guide. So, you know, if just 10 people donated $1 a month, there's a scholarships guide right there. And that's new one. The new guide has over $120 million in scholarships. It really helps us put this program in together. You can go to stuckmikeavcast.com slash patron. We really appreciate you, and we appreciate all the patrons that have helped out in the past, and we've given away well over 100 scholarships guides to people so that people can move forward in their careers. Well, another announcement we have this evening is something that's super fun, and I'm really excited about because, Russ, you you told me about this thing, and I was like, that sounds really cool, and he went out and competed in this event and did a great job. Russ, tell us a little bit about what you were involved with the other day. And as a matter of fact, this is coming out on the 1st of September. You'll also be involved in tonight. That's right, Carl. This was uh, the ground school, online ground school company called Gold Seal, which many people are probably familiar with. They host this uh, this. You know, trivia contest game show uh, called Prop Quiz, which I think is a pretty clever name. I'm not really very creative at coming up with stuff like that, but it's pretty good. And 
and they invited me to be a contestant on on the previous episode, which was on uh, August 25th, and I won. <laughs> so it was Yay. it was a lot of yeah, thank you Woo. thank you it was very it was a lot of very difficult uh, questions uh, you know I mean some of that you know some of them were easier than others but some were pretty pretty challenging uh, but yeah I was able to you know get my way through it and I and I I did win so uh, in a, in addition to actually a, a cash prize which is great um, I get to come back on the next episode and try to, you know, defend my crown, I guess, as it were. And, and that one is the one that Carl mentioned will be live on September 1st. So if you happen to be listening to this podcast, you know, the minute it comes out (laughs) on September 1st, then, uh, that evening at, at 8 PM Eastern, uh, click on the link, which we'll have in the show notes. Uh, and you can watch and hopefully cheer me on or cheer the other contestants on and whatever. And, and it's just a good time. It's, it's, uh, it's three contestants all trying to answer these aviation trivia questions. Like I said, some of which are, are rather obscure and bizarre and other ones that, you know, probably most people know, but, uh, it was just a lot of fun and, and I hope to do well again, uh, well tonight <laughs> as of this recording. That's awesome. Congratulations. And I know you got one of the, I think the highest uh, score ever since they started this. That's, that's terrific. <laughs> that, that is true. Yes. I, I didn't know that at the time either, but th- they told me that later. And I mean, anybody who knows me knows that, I mean, my whole life has been, has been aviation, both, uh, personally and professionally at all. And so I'm always reading and, you know, watching YouTube videos and, and studying and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I guess my, my whole adult life paid off in, in this one trivia contest. So I guess it was worth it. Yeah, we sure do know you read a lot about aviation. That, that's yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that is true. You bet. <laughs> We're alluding to the picks of the week. If you check out all the past picks of the week, you can see so many <laughs> of Russ's that are out there that are books and that type of thing. This is well, really we'll, we'll cool. Have, don't worry. We'll have another one tonight. <laughs> uh, I know we will. I know we will. I've, I finally got one, too, so I'm very oh, excited Lord. to the end. As a matter of fact, um, as far as this quiz thing, I think, now correct me if I'm wrong, but can you rewatch these later on online? Is that true? Oh yeah, thanks. That's great. Yes, they are uh, archived or whatever. I mean, they're they're on YouTube, I think too. But if you go to if you go to Gold Seal's website, uh, it's onlinegroundschool.com/slash/propquiz. But again, we'll have that link in the show notes, and and you can watch the previous episodes. And uh, and one thing they they started doing this past one with, which I assume they will do for the next one coming out on September first, is uh, the so the first round is kind of you know, whatever you call it, open answer where the contestants have to, you know, just, you know, know the answer and say the answer, right? After they buzz in. But the second round is multiple choice. So, uh, people watching it now can kind of play along and, you know, pick their, their, uh, what they think the right answer is and then, and see if they would have gotten it right. So, so it's kind of, it's kind of sort of interactive like that. And I think it'd be a lot of fun. Sounds like a lot of fun. Well, guys, let's move on to the cruise flight. Now entering cruise flight. Today's episode, like I said, we're talking about surviving the intimidating CFI or examiner. This this whole discussion actually is driven by some folks that have written into me 
into the show. And by the way, you can just write into us, contact at stuckmikeavcast.com or send us a, you know, a message on Facebook, etc. But this is a really interesting scenario. We have a couple different scenarios of how students can be intimidated by their CFI or even their examiner. Remember, our examiners are CFIs also, and they are ones that at times can be overly intimidating and also can negatively affect learning. So let me get to the one of the emails, and it's really interesting. And by the way, I'm going to take out all the personal information, and we kind of want to protect the people that were flying there. So if you do write in a story, please, you know, uh, notice that I am going to change the story as far as end numbers, that type of thing. Anyway, a uh, listener writes in, says, Hi, Carl. Hope you are well. You and I spoke on a coaching class back in January about my aviation future. This happened to me last week, and I thought it was worth sharing as a learning opportunity. Last week, I was scheduled to finish up my commercial check ride, uh, but didn't finish because of weather. Uh, so anyway, he was able to continue that check ride later on and his dp flew in to finish it up and by the way he did pass a check ride and congratulations on that it was the uh, commercial check ride really awesome that you're moving forward with that but anyway as the dp came in to his airport to do the check ride he was a little late and he apologized for being late and the reason he was late was because of what transpired over the radio and this is just a summary of what happened there was um, an examiner was on a left downwind uh, for a runway 3-2, and he was number two clear behind a Cessna on a one-mile final. So a Cessna 152, was a student pilot, was on a right downwind for 3-2. Now, after that tower cleared the DP to land, he asked the 152 to make a left 360 and report back on downwind. Now, here's where things get dicey. As you, as you can hear in the audio, he says, uh, she complete, complies, but you know, kind of does her own thing by complying, this 152 that's doing this 360, 360. So the controller inquires as to what she's doing, and that's where she panics. And in her panic, and this happens to a lot of us, she kind of tightened up on the yoke, and she inadvertently presses the push to talk button. And this is where everyone on the frequency for the next few minutes gets to hear what's really going on in the cockpit. And from, from what, this, what we can gather and also from the audio, she is a student pilot and was on a solo. And when the controller asked her to pour, perform that 360, she really didn't know what, what he meant. And instead of asking for clarity, she panicked, which happens. And you really, in, in the audio, you can hear that panic in her voice and totally forgetting about flying the airplane. And she's so scared to ask the controller for clarity and then mentions over and over, and this is interesting because you remember the push to talk is down, that she's going to get screamed at. She's going to get screamed at. Now, so we're not sure if she's referring to getting screamed at by the controller uh, who in that area is known as being fairly ex aggressive or by her CFI. We're not totally sure, but a lot of times you hear that from students that have been, you know, admonished by their CFIs. Uh, so we're going to kind of go into that. But the fear in her voice was really evident. And uh, really, the DP thought they were about to witness a crash during this. So during this time period, uh, people started going over to the ground control frequency and telling them, hey, try to raise her on the other frequency, that type of thing. So to make the long story short, they, they were able to raise her on the frequency and basically told her she was clear to land on any runway. Landed really nervous and taxied back 
to the gate. And like I said, at the end of it, it's a little bit fuzzy. It's hard to, to hear on the audio tape. But the, the point being is this. For this person, this student, was afraid of getting screamed at by who knows, by the instructor, by the controller, again, who's very aggressive. So it's not just the intimidating CFI. It could be the intimidating controller. And it really was, it's disconcerting to listen to. And I, like I said, I don't play it on here because I really don't want the end numbers played. It was kind of hard. To, also, there's some um, bad, you know, expletives used throughout the, the whole scenario. So let's talk a little bit about this. And first of all, the one thing I do want to make a point of as far as the student is concerned is don't ever be afraid to say you're a student pilot. I got over 15,000 hours. I still say I'm a student pilot. I, not really. I'm joking. But but in general, there's days I might want to. I, might, I feel like I should. So never feel afraid to use that term, that you're a student pilot. Uh, you know, there's times that you may feel like, hey, I'm new here. I may not use the term student pilot, but you know what I'll do? I'll get on the frequency. Hey, guys, you know, I'm... I'm new to this area. Can you help me out? Can you help me? I, I'm not sure what tower you're talking about for me to turn or the, the creek creek on the left downwind, but you know I just don't know. I'm not sure. So that's the kind of thing we want to start promoting. And as a CFI, we can do that. So let's, let's kind of go through this and, and talk a, a little bit about the different verbiage that she could have used instead of worrying about getting screamed at. So let's start. You know, Russ, what is it that you suggest to your students or your pilots in general to do in this type of situation, whether a student or experienced pilot? Well, I, certainly if you don't understand what, what ATC is asking you to do, it, you really you just ask them to you know, say again, of course, or, or tell them you don't understand what they're asking. There doesn't need to be a, you don't need to worry about getting the right, you know, phrases down or whatever. Just, you know, plain English really works well in a lot of cases with ATC. You know, I don't understand what you want me to do. I'm a student pilot. Uh, even if you're not a student pilot, like you said, I mean, you know, you know we've all flown in areas that they have their own kind of local procedurisms. And, you know, I, a few weeks ago I was flying somewhere and they asked me, you know, Tower asked for me to report over, I don't remember anymore, but report over, you know, some mall or something, you know, like, well, I, I'm not familiar. I don't know where that is, you know. Okay. Oh, well, then just report a, a five-mile final or something. Okay. That I can do, you know. Um, but if if you don't, it, it, communication is a, two, is a two-way street, right? So if you don't let them know that you don't know what they mean, they're there can be no improvement, no resolution to that. So, um, I, I've often, you know, used you know, training in progress or something like that. You know, we've whether I'm with a student or if there's something that that I'm trying to do that might be a little unusual. You know, I request to do something strange for training. Oh, well, okay, then and you get allowed. So, but uh, it's really, you know, Carl. It's just a you need to communicate well, and the only way to do that is to. Tell them what you need. Tell them what you want. Tell them what you don't understand. Ask them to say something a different way. Ask them to, you know, slow down. Maybe they're talking too fast. I heard that earlier today. Actually, <laughs> the controller's a million miles an hour. Uh, just any of these kind of things that you can do, and and just to work on communicating. Also, with that is the intimidating controller, possibly, uh, because oh, sometimes sure, they get sure. a little bit aggressive, don't they? 
Well, they do, and and we've all, I think, heard some of the YouTube clips where they save the audio from different towers and such where you're like, ooh, man, (laughs) that guy's having a bad day or whatever. (laughs) And and it's true. I mean, air traffic controllers are people too, right? And we have, you know, pilots have bad days, air traffic controllers have bad days, and, and, you know, sometimes just kind of let it go and and get it done with, you know, but, uh, but understand that really at the end of the day, you know, the controller's there to make sure that you arrive where you're going safely. And, and if you do really not a whole lot else matters, you know, we can't get ourselves bent out of shape too much, but it is hard and, and it can be intimidating. Like, like you said with that, that email. Yeah. You have to ask for directions sometimes. That's for sure. And one of the things that we have a tough time is with our egos is, is saying, Hey, I'm, am lost. What should I do? So hopefully if this person is listening and listens to this podcast, realize that even us that have some experience that we ask for directions, we say we're, we're, you know, we're not familiar with the airport. We're not familiar. We don't understand those type of things. It's always good to confess, then comply and everything will be just fine. It, 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 if you ask people for help in general, they usually want to give it to you. There are chances though, that that doesn't happen, but backing up to the other part, where she was afraid to get screamed at. That really kind of bothers me from maybe it's a controller, but possibly the instructor. The one thing that I really don't like to see is people stop flight training. And many times I hear from people, a lot of times it's their CFI. And I've seen it happen. I'm like the most unconfrontational guy in the cockpit uh, compared to most. And it's because of the fact that I, I understand that they're really, really nervous. And if you're, you look at them and you say to them, hey, listen, don't worry about anything. You can't do anything really, really wrong. I can get you out of most problems, so don't worry about that. And, and just relax. You know, Just hang out. I'm not going to yell at you for doing anything wrong. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to learn. You want to have that inviting environment. And I'm sure, Sean, that you, you actually probably have been in this situation or scenario too where maybe you possibly didn't feel that you know you could open up to the person that's in the right seat or to another examiner or to a, another pilot sure i mean you know like maybe the student that we're talking about you never want to feel you're going to be your own worst critic right and so you know this student pilot could feel like oh my gosh what am i doing i don't you know i i, I shouldn't even be here because now they're going to yell at me and it's it's easy to sort of get caught up in that mindset and i think like both you and russ were saying the best thing to do is realize that as a student pilot, you are going to make some mistakes sometimes. Some could be minor mistakes. Some could be you know more serious mistakes. But the most important thing is to, like I said, own up to those mistakes, learn from them, and ask for help if you need them. Um, I, I I can't recall a specific time where I you know kind of felt unable to speak up, but you certainly you know like anybody uh, you don't want to feel dumb, and so you're going to try and you know, bluff isn't the right word, but it's sort of compensate for any kind of insecurity that you feel. So um, if you let that ego get in the way, it's easy to make a mistake worse. So if you start seeing yourself make a mistake, just take a breath, just stop. It's okay. Um, and just ask for help if you need it. If it's from the tower, uh, you know, say, like you guys have said, hey, I, I'm not entirely sure I, I understand what you mean by that. Could you just tell me again? Anything like that. Um, but it's always good just to own up to that mistake, realize that it doesn't make you a, a horrible pilot it's just you know it's part of good uh, decision making and situational awareness to make sure that you know what's going on and you're clear in a situation where the person feels this way that feels like they can say something and it it moves into the scenario of air traffic control like we saw in this situation 
maybe it's time to find a new instructor. And I know that's really hard, especially for certain people, like I said, that are non-confrontational. I'm kind of that way. It's like, no, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this. Well, sometimes it's time to move on. I've had it happen or I've had to move on to a different instructor. It's very difficult to do. And, you know, you just say, hey, our personality types just didn't mesh. Sometimes you can have a private discussion, maybe with another instructor at the flight school and say, hey, listen, can you talk to this person? Maybe talk to their boss somehow and say, I think if, if they could just kind of tone it down a little. But it is something that bothers me because I really think we lose a lot of pilots in this community because of that, because we, we take, you know, an old school look at, at what we need to do during the, the instruction and, and during that environment. So be real careful what you say, that's for sure. Uh, as a, From a student's perspective, though, uh, that's what we're talking about with this example. We're going to talk about from a CF Isaacs uh, uh, perspective next. But really make sure that you realize we really – the majority of the instructors out there really want to help you. We want you to learn and we really do care about you. And, and don't worry, you, there's, there's nothing you can do wrong that we haven't seen. And, and we just, yeah, sometimes it's frustrating for us and sometimes we'll say things we probably shouldn't, but hopefully most of us as instructors will count to, to three before we do that. So I think that's, uh, you know, just those things confess, uh, say unable student pilot. I'm unfamiliar uh, I don't know, you know, can you repeat that, please? Uh, you can even say please. That sometimes helps a lot. Uh, when you get on the radio, say, hey, you know, it's a great day. Can you help me out here? You know, I'm, I'm a little confused as to where I need to, to taxi to, that type of thing. But uh, I think those are all good ex uh, examples. I don't know if anybody else wants to throw in an example there, but I think we went over most of them uh, before we move on to flipping the switch to the other side of things, and that's from the the uh, – actually the instructor. So this, there's, again, when we do these scenarios, I, I try to make sure that we don't put anybody on the spot. So this next one is a scenario at an airport where we have a person in the pattern who is a flight instructor with a student and is on the downwind. And then we hear another aircraft call in and says that they are also on the opposite downwind for the same runway. Turns out that the other person is nowhere near where they said they should be. As a matter of fact, the other person was a student taking a check ride. And right now is really, you can tell, really nervous because of the fact that you can hear the shaking in the voice on the recording. Uh, again, I have a live ATC of this one. And the person is just like totally confused. Turn out, turn out later that we find out that this person was actually on a check ride with a DPE. So this is what happens. The flight instructor that was on the down with, with his student and was, you know, calling proper positions and all starts to get on the radio and berate the other pilot and gets to the point where it starts, again, I can't replay this because of the things that they said on the radio, which you shouldn't be saying anyway, and that, you know, definitely not proper terminology. And he starts to really get on this person, getting to the point where the examiner gets on the radio finally. You can tell it's an examiner because his voice is well known in the area and says, hey, you really need to tone this down. Now, to add salt to the wound, uh, this person actually, the, the flight instructor that was on the downwind who started berating the other person, decides to actually file a complaint with the FAA. 
Now you really want to bring this to light, you know, the fact that you really are acting like a jerk. And, and this is, I mean, the person was acting, was correct. Yes, the person was doing the wrong thing. But just remember this, that person that was that student pilot taking a check ride probably didn't pass their check ride because that maybe they did. Who knows if they corrected it, etc. But now you're making matters really worse and we're not turning this into a very welcoming environment. Boy, I would really not want to fly with that CFI who is getting on the radio and making those calls. It is proper, though, to call people out and say, hey, listen, you know, uh, you made a mistake there. Uh, you need to do something a little different next time. And maybe we could talk about this on the ground. But if you do have a scenario like that from a CFI standpoint, and, and I'm going to I won't want to hear from the you guys also from a CFI standpoint, what I'll do a lot of times is I'll take the end number down, find out where it came from. Maybe call that flight school and ask to talk to the person who was flying. And say, hey, listen, just to let you know, uh, what you did uh, was was not right, and this is why. And if the person says, oh, yeah, I know. I was on a check ride. I failed a check ride because of it. I'm like, okay, good. It's being taken care of. Or, hey, you know, I didn't realize that. They'll say, thanks for, for bringing that up. So as CFIs, as instructors, that is a good example of what not to do, what not to be like on the, on the frequency. So from, from our perspective, because we're all right now on, on this podcast, CFIs. So Russ, from your, as a CFI, you know, what is it that you can do in that scenario to actually enable learning as opposed to what happened in this case? Well, if I hear anything you know, like that, and it, it's only happened a, a couple times in the air for me, but, uh, you know, on the air is not a place to have an argument. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. You know, that, that nothing's going to get resolved in the air, and you're, you know, taking, you're covering up other transmissions possibly that people are trying to make, and you know, you're distracting everybody, and it's just bad all around. So, I mean, if you have a, a situation that comes up like that that you really want to talk to the other pilot, you know, ask if you can talk about it on the ground or see if you can get a phone number or. Or, um, you know, look them up later, I guess, like, like you said, you know, Carl, but, uh, you know, I have heard stories where, you know, that's gone so far as the violence have landed and, you know, almost got into a you know, fist fight and like, oh, come on, <laughs> you know, how old are we? <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, you know, take, take this kind of stuff and, and I've had in these situations, even if I haven't, you know, gotten in touch with the other person at all, but I'm, I'm with a student and we heard something just on the radio. Oh man, that is an awesome opportunity for me and the student later on the ground. Let's go over what happened. What let's, let's kind of draw it out. What were we doing? What was the other guy doing? Um, you know, who was, who was right? Who was wrong? You know, does it matter? <laughs> um, you know, what, what could we have done better? And, and just creates that, that just great, training scenario that well i don't have to make one up later to cover it because we had a real one you know so anytime you can use a, a real experience to to teach from is is optimum you said getting to fisticuffs you know one of those examples i use is when i was you know working on an airline up in uh, newark new jersey I, uh, had a controller that was a real jerk and then we had a captain who was very aggressive and knew the code to the control tower and he said listen after he got really mad i'm coming up there and i'm gonna beat the heck out of you that's not exactly how he said it but 
uh, it was interesting because they, they, he really, he ran off that airplane, ran towards where he could get into where the controllers were, and uh, they actually had a security come out and, and talk to him. That's definitely not the way you want to deal with that scenario, for for a couple of, of reasons. Other than the fact it's not legal, you shouldn't be beating up air traffic controllers when you get mad. But the the other part is just not the proper way to deal with it. And I get it. We probably even should have talked about controllers that can be like this, but that's a whole nother ball game. What we want to do is, is talk about what we can do to control that scenario, what we can do as instructors. And the most important thing is just, uh, you know, I've never had a situation where I've felt that angry to get on the frequency and, uh, you know, have to just berate somebody. Uh, and that's just not the proper way to deal with that either. No, not at all. But we've all heard those kind of scenarios on, on the radio, and that, that's for sure. Which kind of brings us to another point, and this is the fact that words us as instructors use are very important. It can either create this very welcoming environment, which we should be creating, or a very adverse environment. You know, one of the things I get to fly with is a lot of ex-military folks. And sometimes in their environment, through their training, it's a little bit different uh, type of scenario. And some people, they can be downright intimidating and will try as hard as they can to intimidate you to the point where you actually break. And uh, me, I'm the kind of person that doesn't put up with much. And I, I've been known to give it back, you know, not being confrontational, but if someone's going to do that to me, I just kind of give it back. And I actually had someone tell me, he says, well, I guess if I'm dishing it out, I should be able to take it also. But that's kind of bullying is really what it is a lot of times. But it's, I, I get it because a lot of times it comes from the scenario of training in the military. And I know some of us have, have been through that. I've heard the stories a bit and getting hit over the back of the head with a stick, but you know, Russ, I think you may have had some experience in the in the whole world of military aviation or military training. Well, that's right. I am former military, as we've talked about before on the show. And, you know, I went through basic training, you know, and it was pretty much like you see in the movies in many ways. And, you know, with getting yelled at and, you know, doing push-ups and, you know, just, you know, I, I don't really agree with it in general as a training method, but it is what it is. And I have no idea what the current status of, of military training is now. But uh, that said, you know, aviation is very rooted in, in military aviation. You know, even, you know, all the civilian flying we do now, you think back, I mean, you know, we learn from our instructors who learned from their instructors, who learned from their instructors who were in World War II, right? So, uh, you know, we think, wow, World War II, man, that was quick math here, math in public, almost 80 years ago, right? How could that possibly affecting what we're doing today? Well, it very much does. I mean, we see it in, in some of the regulations and, and while well, the airplanes are still the same in many cases, but, but you know, that kind of military mindset of training, especially in something like World War II, when they're just having to, you know, pump out as many pilots as they can quickly and weed out those who can't make it really quickly. So, so they're not wasting time. And, and that whole, military mindset of, you know, you know, break everyone down and build them up from nothing. And, you know, you know, very intense, uh, focused training would be the nice way to say it, you know, uh, very aggressive and, uh, you know, unwelcoming would be another way to say it. But, uh, that whole, that whole mindset still, you know, carries through today because, you know, in a lot of places, like I said, we are learning from, Instructors learn from those instructors, and 
what we, I, I think, really have to appreciate, and I've dealt with several, you know, former military, you know, that want to, you know, become flight instructors in the civilian world, and one of the things I, I've made sure to impress upon them is that, you know, this is not the military. There is no selection process for for people in to go get their private pilot's license, right? You know, in, in the military, you every student pilot in the military is has faced some kind of a selection process. Um, you know, they've competed with, with peers. They, they have the best test scores in various ways, right? They're all young for, you know, I mean, they're all you know, in their 20s probably. Um, they're all in good physical condition. They all have no health defects. They all have, you know, generally great hearing and eyesight and all that kind of stuff, right? So uh, they're, you know, perfect training specimens, if you will, right? <laughs> and and they're and they're focused, right? I mean, if they don't complete this training, well, they get washed out, right? If they don't meet the syllabus, then they then they go do you know some kind of other military duty that maybe they didn't really want to do. So. Uh, so they're motivated. Uh, whereas in civilian training, what do we have? Well, we have the guy who, you know, doesn't really have any background in aviation. You know, maybe he's, you know, on a second or third career and thinks, you know, it'd be kind of nice to learn how to fly just so I can go fly to get, you know, hamburger once in a while. And, you know, they don't, you know, they're not perfect physical specimens. You know, they're no longer in their 20s. You know, you know, they didn't have to take any tests or anything to to go to the local flight school and sign up. So, the whole the whole approach has to be different, and and this you know yelling at people and you know trying to you know break them down and and that kind of thing just just doesn't work, especially for someone who you know has been around the block a few times. You know, I've taught people in their you know sixties and and so to to fly, and you know your mindset changes a little as you know as when you're no longer in your twenties. So uh, as a flight instructor, you really need to adapt your training. This is true in, in any in any field, certainly. You need to adapt your training to your to your customer, to your student. And you know, yes, it's possible that some people react well to the you know military style training. I keep calling it, uh, but you know, I find that's a pretty small percentage. As a CFI, we really need to be positive and supportive. Um, and understand that, hey, if this person, you know, isn't doing as well as we would like, well, we have a chat with them, but they might be perfectly happy just continuing to fly. Maybe it takes them 100 hours to get their private pilot rating. And that's fine. You know, if, if, if we have a make sure we have a good discussion with them and they're happy with it, then no problem. Right. Uh, but just because they they don't solo by, you know, their third flight or something that doesn't mean they're, you know, not a not a going to be a safe pilot or a good pilot or, or anything. So um, we really need to to make sure we we kind of get away from from the negative and and head towards the positive when we're talking about reinforcement and motivation and such, I think. I think that philosophy in the military world, it, it may tend to work in that environment, but you know, as transitioning to the civilian world, I think that what you said is very correct. You know, they're doing this, it's a hobby for most people, and we're trying to sell them. So you got to make sure you keep selling them on that, that lesson and, and try to get them to come back, that's for sure. So, yeah, and I do, I should back up one, th one step and, and say that, you know, I, I don't know what the current status of military style training is. I keep saying military style, and that may not be a, the correct way to word it. I don't know. But what I mean is the, 
historical, uh, you know, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago style of, of training, you know, that we see glamorized and such maybe in the movies and maybe that's not entirely based upon, you know, truth and fact, but in my experience, you know, a lot of it was, uh, for all I know, uh, military training now could be very positive and, and supportive. I, I have no information on that, but, but I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't misunderstood here, but, uh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. So yeah, back to you. Carl. I'm glad you brought that up because one thing I want I want to make sure of is that we realize that the military instructors are great and work a lot with them in the civilian world, Absolutely. and many of yes, them have yes. have adapted to that civilian style uh, of training and realizing that these are customers that we want to keep coming back, have coming back. Uh, and some of the most laid back pilots I've flown with are ex fighter pilots. Uh, so it's you know we we know that there's. There is that style within the military, but it also uh, has, you know, they can change their style when they do come back out. Uh, one of the things that you find, and I found, especially with, you know, one of the, my first coworkers was a, a fighter pilot in Vietnam, and he said that, you know, he didn't flight instruct because everybody was was incredibly in fear all the time of doing like stalls and and stuff like that and it's kind of interesting because that that fear is really you know it's it's tough and it's real and sometimes we when we're we go back to that type of training that we're being very you know tough on our students we may we may scare them away um, that's for sure but you know, as far as fear and, and, and those type and instilling fear and being ready to learn, Sean, I think you had something you wanted to comment on about that. Yeah, you know, that's one of those things you learn when you go through CFI training is that for a student to be ready to learn, they have to feel comfortable in the cockpit. They talk about the, the perceptual field and being able to sort of absorb all the information, create those insights from all the experiences they're taking in. If they feel threatened in the cockpit by an overbearing flight instructor, um, they're, all they're going to be able to focus on is that perceived threat. And they're not going to be able to take in, you know, maybe the sight picture of the maneuver they're learning or, you know, kind of the correlation between the instruments. Um, just looking at the aviation instructor's handbook, it, it says it's important for the instructor to facilitate the learning process by avoiding any actions that inhibit or prevent the attainment of teaching goals. Um, it's effective teaching is only when those factors that influence the student's perception are recognized and taken into account. So as an instructor, you have to, I think, constantly be evaluating yourself and be a little bit of a psychologist. Look at that student there in the left seat and try and figure out, even if you're not intending to be intimidating or you don't think you are being intimidating, if that student over there is perceiving you as being an intimidating instructor, even if maybe you're just trying to be strict or holding to a particular altitude, you have to kind of recognize that and be ready to kind of adjust your approach to make sure that they feel comfortable and ready to learn. Otherwise, uh, in addition to kind of scaring them off, like you mentioned, Carl, you might just prevent them from making any progress at all and frustrate the things even further. Sean, I'm really glad you brought that up because I mean, that whole you know, readiness for learning is is absolutely critical. I mean, everybody comes into flying, you know, at least that I meet, they they want to fly, they want to learn how to fly, and if and if they show up and the flight instructor is intimidating, you know, is is scary, is is berating them, that that's just going to shut you down. I mean, you know, you're like I was excited to fly, but man, I don't know if I want to fly anymore, and and if. You know, if you lose that that motivation, well, yeah, are you, are you going to study as hard? Are you going to practice the maneuvers as hard? Are you going to learn as well? No, no, you're not. I mean, I when I was working on my instrument rating, I had been flying with one instructor predominantly, and and then uh, he wasn't 
there someday or something. So I flew with the chief instructor at the school I was at. And, and number one, I was a little intimidated because this is the chief instructor. I mean, you know, it's just the guy who's super experienced as far as I knew at the time. Right. And, and, you know, he's going to be doing the phase checks and all that kind of stuff. So I was a little intimidated anyway. And, and then we went on climb out. It started on climb out. I wasn't using enough rudder, you know, to offset the P factor and the torque and all that kind of stuff. And, and the ball was out of center, but you know, it was, I was trying to focus on my instruments and, and instead it's just, you know, given a simple, you know, more right rudder comment, you know, that all of us instructors are very used to saying, you know, he, he had to be a little snarky about it. And it just says, is there a reason we're flying sideways? And I'm like, of course I'm like, what, what do you, what do you mean? And, and then he pointed out the ball and I'm like, you know, <laughs> really, <laughs> you know, and, and it continued on with, with, with comments like that, that were just. Yeah, you know, it's just not necessary. I mean, it was it was almost you know mocking my abilities and that kind of stuff. And of course, you know, well, we all have our own you know personal pride. And someone starts making fun of what we do, it kind of shuts you down. So um, I, I took that and I said that was from my instrument rating. So that was years before I became a flight instructor, and I still remember it to this day. And you know, I I try to keep that kind of thing in mind when I'm flying with students. That you know, it, tone of voice can can be a big factor uh, in in people learning and, and Sean, as you said, you know, readiness to learn and, you know, are they going to be really hearing the rest of what you say, or are they going to be thinking, man, my flight instructor thinks I'm an idiot. Oh man. You know, is that, that's going to be sitting there in their mind. Right. And, and it can be, it can be something as simple as, and I, I, I did this the other day and I apologize. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we, I was flying with, with a, a student, it wasn't a student pilot, it's an advanced rating, but uh, I was flying with somebody and, uh, you know, and he, he didn't do something the way I had taught him and I, and I totally inadvertently sighed. I mean, <sighs> like that. And, and it, it went over the intercom and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> I hope he didn't hear that. I hope he thought it was, uh, I don't know, the wind or something, but uh, because even something as little as that, you know, can can be noticed and cause kind of a change in the way that that student is going to, is going to perceive, you know, future instructions from you and, and learning and such. And so you really need to be careful as an instructor. And, and I know I try to be, and I think most instructors try to be careful in how they, how they word things and approach things. But, um, you know, we do our best it's not always perfect, but you need to pay attention to that kind of thing. Russ, that's a great example, and it kind of brings up the next you know scenario that I had and when I came back to flying, is that the instructor is teaching people of all different levels. Like your your student, the person who's learning, can be somebody who's looking to get you know a multi engine rating, has thousands of hours. Maybe they've been flying around their one A two for the past thirty years now, and they want to step up to a twin. But I know that I hear this a lot from the guys I fly with and it turns them off to flying VA sometimes as they are intimidated by some of the local CFIs and that doesn't make sense, right? But think about this scenario. I mean, I showed up at a flight school after not flying GA for, I think it was about 10 years and you know, everything's fine until we flare, right? And I even told him, I said, listen, just watch my landings because I flare at a real high altitude. And you know, all of us that have instructed airline pilots understand that. And afterwards, he, he looked at me and uh, said to me, he says, gosh, you know, I didn't realize airline pilots suck so bad at landing. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, dude, what, 
that, Ooh, that's that, yeah i said that wow. that's that's some really good criticism there and i i said you know what are you intending to do with your career and and we started talking a little bit afterwards and i said you know those the verbiage you use might you might want to tra- change and lo and behold and i like to use this example you never know who you're going to fly with just so happens that the person was applying to the airline that i was working for as a recruiter and I said, no, I said, you know, this isn't going to look good on an application and during the interview. I said, you know, you really need to be careful, not just because it might hurt your career, no, but because you're going to turn off somebody who's looking to get back into aviation. I love what AOPA is doing about bringing airline pilots back to GA, and they're trying to do that in a very welcoming environment. Telling someone they, they really are not very good at landing, or in my case saying that you sucked, is not, not the way to do it. We need to encourage them to say, hey, listen, the landings, they're not going to be great at first, but we're going to make them good. We're going to find where the ground is together. That's what you need to do. You need to be prepared for that. Maybe the instructor never flew with somebody who flew a bigger plane. I don't know. But still, there's not the proper verbiage. Just like you said, we have to be careful. And that was the immediate response that he came up with. We, we have to be careful about our words as instructors when we're putting forth anything that comes out of our mouth is going to be hung on to by our students because they look up to us and and if we're someone that berates them and you know basically bullies them sometimes they that's not going to be good for their health it's not going to be good for the health of the industry because we're going to chase off a lot of students so let's not do that let's be the friendly instructors let's let's get together with them and say hey listen when you have we have done something not very good Let's go out there and talk about that and, and be very objective and, and, and talk about it in, in a caring manner instead of in that type of manner. That, that is what I feel is the best thing to do in those cases. So don't intimidate your students, that's for sure. And, and be that person that is welcoming and somebody that's, that's really somebody that's going to bring us to the next, the next level in aviation and keep people flying in general aviation. I, I'd really, I would challenge everybody that is a CFI or a student or any type of learner out there to, to just look at the words and, and bring up those things to the people that are either saying them or to ourselves, look in the mirror. Uh, to change things. So great, great comments there, Russ. That, that was awesome. Um, any other examples that we want to go through uh, before we kind of wrap up here? Uh, Sean or Russ, I mean, there, I think we've covered a lot of different things as far as what we need to do as, as far as with our students, but as far as being a student. Because remember, we're all students. We're all learning, uh, no matter what level we're at. You know, we, I mean, how many times do you see airline pilots get turned off at, at the airport? You know what happens? And, and I see this a lot at work. Airline pilots will go to other airline pilots for instruction. They find another GA airline pilot because they're going to be a lot nicer to them. Because that's one of the things we always say, is, you know, what, what happens in the cockpit stays in the cockpit. We don't bring it outside. You know, we all have our challenges. There's not someone that doesn't have challenges. And don't be intimidated and don't be intimidating, One, the, both of those things. As far as from a student perspective, yeah, raise your hand, talk to an instructor, talk to somebody that, you, that really cares about you and that wants to help you if you're having a problem. It, you really want, you don't want that to fester because we don't want to see you leave. We want you to stay here. We want you to keep flying with us. And we want to share the skies together with with all of you because this is an awesome thing that we do. I mean, this is just so much fun being able to be up in the air together. And I can't wait to, to see everybody up there. So, 
You know, uh, Russ and Sean, this has been a great conversation uh, and it's been something that I've been wanting to talk about for a while but didn't know how to bring it up. And I'd love to hear from you folks that are listening right now. You know, go to our webpage and, you know, contact us and let us know, have you ever had that type of scenario? Or if you want to write in and tell us about a scenario that's happened to you, please share it with us. Well, let's move on to the after landing checklist. Our picks of the week. On the Afterland Checklist, we have these picks of the week. And one of the things that I want you to do, too, is check out our picks of the week on the Stuck Mike Avcast. we got so many of them. If you click on it, there's many suggestions. There's some really good ones that have you know come up from all the different hosts and co-hosts that we've had on in the past and uh, really, really excited about that. We're also excited about sharing our, our love for aviation. The way we do that is through this picks of the week, something that we enjoyed, but also something that maybe will help you. And, and some of them are a little bit different and uh, so this week I'm, I'm going to start off with this one because I really I love to read one of the things I don't read a, a lot of is say is aviation books other than the technical stuff and and I like to read uh, historical fiction and anytime I read historical fiction and I see anything mentioned about aviation and a good use of aviation and an example of how GA has affected so many lives I like to share that. And I share that today in this one that I read. One of my favorite uh, novelists out there, historical novelist, is James Michener. And James Michener uh, is you know, from Doylestown, Pennsylvania, an amazing little airport there in Doylestown. Big shout out to those folks there. Uh, I think I sent one of my last check rides to one of the examiners there. But he wrote this book called Centennial. It's a, it's a bit of a long book. It's about, I think, a little over 1,000 pages. But you will really enjoy this. And Michener can describe so many amazing events. In, in a way that will enthrall you. Who talk about a river that formed, and you'll be, you'll be actually brought into that story. But one of the things that was wonderful about this book is where he talked about an airplane and flying overhead and surveying land and this incredible use of that airplane and traveling, and, he, and some tragedy too. But I'll leave that to you to read that novel. James Michener, Centennial. They also made a, a series on it on TV. I remember back in the uh, 70s watching that with my, my mom used to watch that. So I really highly recommend that. Check it out in the show notes, James Michener, Centennial. And look for those couple of spots within those thousand pages that he talks about the uh, aviation and how that is used in our everyday life. So, Russ, what is your pick of the week? Can we just call this my book of the week, Carl? <laughs> the, what is okay? your book of the week, then? <laughs> my, my book of the week. Um, yes, it's, you can read it quicker than, than yours because it's a third of length. So, <laughs> so it's like a bargain. Um, so, yeah, this, this book is called Samurai, and it's the unforgettable saga of Japan's greatest fighter pilot, at least, I guess, according to him. But, <laughs> no, he, he was the, the leading ace in, for Japan in World War II. And it's written by Saburo Sakai, so it, it's an autobiography. And I, I, I found this book really fascinating because, you know, of course, in general, uh, history is written by the victor, right? That's that's a I don't know, a, it's a famous quote by somebody, but um, it's true. I mean, you know, in all my uh, we talked before about you know my military time, and so it's, we, we were always studying well, military history from the U.S. His perspective, uh, certainly World War II history, uh, and and this book is written by, like I said, a Japanese fighter pilot, and it goes into, you know, their view of of the different uh, 
air battles he was engaged in. And, uh, and really interestingly, the, the type of information that, that was given to them that he later found out was totally inaccurate. You know, the, you know, that, that, they were succeeding, you know, the, the, inf- the information was coming down that, that Japan was winning, you know, it was false information, but it was intended to, you know, motivate the troops, that kind of thing. Uh, so pretty interesting from that standpoint. It, it's a very tactically oriented book. Um, there's not a lot of, you know, grand strategy about, you know, you know, troop movements and that kind of stuff because the guy was a fighter pilot, you know, he tells about his experiences and, and the different, uh, you know, islands he was based at and some of them, oh my goodness, you, to, you could barely call it a base, you know, it was a, a, a dirt railway and a couple of tents uh, in some of these places. So uh, he, he got injured and kept flying. Uh, the injuries were fairly severe, but I'll, I'll let you read the book to find out what they are. I think you'll be amazed that the guy kept going on as a fighter pilot and kept being successful with the level of injuries he had. Um, but just just like I said, a very interesting book. Uh, it was it it was written in the eighties. Uh, I guess when he you know he was he was still alive and he was interviewed by a couple of their you know whatever they, what do they call them ghost writers or something like that. But but very good read, interesting book. Um, I, I do see it. It's available on Kindle for ninety nine cents. So you know, if if you read on a Kindle or on the Kindle app on your tablet, ninety nine cents. I think it's worth ninety nine cents. <laughs> yeah, that's a great that's price. A pretty, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great price. What's a dollar, right? Uh, but yes, yeah, Samurai, and of course, the uh, link will be in the show notes. Thanks, Russ, and that. That sounds really interesting. And by the way, I noticed the link that you gave us for the show notes is a thing to call Goodreads. Uh, and that that's, a, I guess, a place where people can find those uh, different books that they may also want to read, you know, and kind of references some of the sim- similar types of books. Yeah, I, I started providing a, you know, links to Goodreads because then they have links to other places where you can actually buy the book. Goodreads is kind of like the, I don't know, if you're familiar with IMDb. Uh, for movies, you know, where people rate the movies and provide, you know, ask questions and that kind of stuff. So this would be the same kind of thing for for books, and that that could be another pick of the week. The website Goodreads, maybe you can yeah. track all your reading and such, which I certainly do because I can't remember if I've you know talked about this book or if I read it three years ago or what. <laughs> but uh, th- this one I I read in July. I, I was able to look that up. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks for the book, and also thanks for the link to Goodreads, because uh, I think I'm going to start looking at that a little bit more, and uh, maybe I'll start using that. But great book, great, interesting information. So moving on to Sean. Sean, what is your pick of the week? Mine is, this is awesome. So I live just down the road from Hill Air Force Base, where the uh, F-35 demo team is based. And uh, they just posted the other day uh, these awesome pictures. They've got a, a former maintainer there at Hill, uh, who has built, along with a couple of his buddies, uh, these amazing remote-controlled uh, F-35 models. And they're, they're detailed straight down to the squadron numbers and everything, perfect replicas of the F-35s that are based here at Hill. And they brought the, uh, the RC planes out to the flight line and got pictures with the RC jets along with one of the real F-35s. Um, it's a, it's a great set of pictures here, and uh, I'm maybe gonna have a little bit more as far as video goes in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I'm hoping to maybe do a story about this, and uh, if that's the case, we'll make sure and uh, and tweet that out to everybody. But uh, for now, you can find it on the uh, F35 demo team Facebook page. There, it's just a great set of pictures to check out. Yeah, I went there. Now they are really neat. That is a beautifully detailed <laughs> detailed models of it. My goodness. 
And, and according to the the post, I, I, I've never uh, been able to get my hands on one of these uh, really fancy RC planes. Uh, I would love to one day, but these are capable of going up to 200 miles an hour, it says. And wow. it's, I mean, just the, the hand-eye coordination that you've got to have, especially when they're flying towards you and everything's reversed. It's uh, it's pretty incredible, the, uh, the skill that it takes to build these things and then fly them competently. I'm looking forward to seeing these things in the air. Oh, that looks really awesome. I can't wait to see you in one of those. Maybe someday you can get a ride just like you did on the F-16. That might be some, <laughs> some time coming, I think. The day they make two-seat ones, I'll be first in line. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be awesome to see that. But thanks a lot, uh, Sean, for that one. And, Russ, thanks again for, for joining us and, and giving us all that great information from both of you as far as both of your picks of the week and also uh, some input as to how we can handle an intimidating CFI or examiner, uh, one and the same, basically, just a little bit different scenario being tested, but what we can also do as instructors. But one thing I want to do is to you, the listener, challenge you to think about those scenarios where you've had instances or as a CFI or as a student, or look at somebody else's scenario and then maybe help somebody out. Maybe you can be that person that changes that situation, reinvigorates that person to get back into flying. They may be wanting to hang up their wings but don't let them do it. Try to be that person, that ambassador for aviation by being friendly, using the right words, and helping people move forward. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. This has been wonderful bringing this episode to you. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.